This is News Talk on the VOCM Bigland FM radio network. The views and opinions on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your News Talk host, Linda Swain. Well, good afternoon, everyone. Ah, summertime. And the living is easy. A little Janis Joplin and Big Brother and the Holding Company there as another lazy July afternoon draws to a close. We have a number of summer-themed conversations to share with you today. But first, uh, an update on the water disruption that's been affecting so much of the city of St. John's, including uh, my little nick of the woods. Uh, It went out about... um, what, 10, 30, 11 o'clock, I want to say? I'm thinking back now, Claudette. I remember but being in the morning, yeah. The phones started ringing off the hook in the VOCM newsroom, people telling us that their water had suddenly gone. In fact, one gentleman called me from the Shaw Street area, and he said, I was taking a shower, and then gone. Now, you know, most water outages, they, they tend to you get that low water pressure uh-huh, and then it sort not, of trickles, but it doesn't just sudden. zoop gone. And then businesses were affected too. Absolutely. Yeah. So it affected a huge area of the pro, the, uh, the capital city region from Shea Heights and Amherst Heights and Sesame Park and Barring Park all the way out to like Leslie Street, I understand, and beyond. So that whole area obviously serviced somehow and not being serviced anymore. So We've been trying to get updates throughout the course of the day from the city of St. John's, and uh, we had access to the same information that the rest of the uh, city had access to, and that was that they were working on it and they would provide an update. Well, we did get an update this afternoon, as you just heard in VOCM News. Uh, St. John's City Councillor Sandy Hickman provided the update at uh, the council meeting just a short while ago. So that is the water disruption in the West End. Uh, has been uh, isolated and uh, they're now running water from the Babel's Long Pond into the West End and water has been basically restored fully to that area. Uh, Their residents may experience some discoloration and they should run their taps until clear. And so there is the information uh, from uh, Sandy Hickman. No immediate word on the uh, exact cost, although I am told that a uh, news release has just come out. I don't have access to it at this uh, very moment, but I will provide you with an update from that in uh, just a few minutes' time. So there you have it. Any thoughts on that, you're welcome to uh, let us know. In the meantime, um, a a fairly significant announcement today uh, in Happy Valley Goose Bay. Federal, provincial, and municipal government officials gathered in Happy Valley Goose Bay this morning for two housing announcements. The first involved 16 new affordable housing units to be built this fall, and the other was the official ribbon-cutting on four new affordable and accessible homes. New minister responsible for new land and Labrador housing. Paul Pike joins me now. Well, hello, Paul Pike. Hello, how are you doing? I'm great. I think this is our first time you and I chatting since you became appointed to the your new position. Congratulations. Well, thank you so much. It's, uh, it's certainly a, a great honor to uh, serve our province in the capacity that I am uh, uh, Minister of uh, Children, Seniors, and, and Social Development, as well as responsible for housing and some other duties as well. So it's certainly been, uh, been a busy few weeks. Busy but, indeed. Uh, you, you hit the ground running in, in Happy Valley Goose Bay. Tell us a little bit about what was announced there this morning. Well, uh, 
today's announcement was certainly a very important one. It was a it was a, an example of, of uh, strong partnerships between uh, federal, provincial, and municipal governments, and uh, I guess our positive impact in working together and addressing uh, the housing needs in communities throughout our province. And today, like I say, we, we were in Goose Bay. So what we announced was uh, uh, 16 uh, units, um, and uh, the, these will consist of four buildings or four uh, Plexus, and they'll meet the need on our wait lists uh, for uh, uh, predominantly one and two bedroom units. Uh, three of the buildings we comprise of one bedroom units, with the remaining building to be comprised of two bedroom units. So the the buildings will include a number like of accessible uh, and visitable units, uh, along with a universal design uh, that includes like. Um, like when the no-step entry, widened exterior and interior doors, new lever-type panels, grab bars, and so on. So, and they also will exceed the uh, current national energy building codes, assuring uh, reductions in energy use and emissions over the life of the building. The um, this was a five million dollar federal funding uh, opportunity for us to expand it, uh, and it came under the uh, came under the third round of the rapid uh, housing initiative city stream to, to the federal government. And like I said, we were able to partner with, with the town of uh, Happy Valley Goose Bay and uh, construct our, our role in it as, as Newfoundland and Labrador housing's role would be to construct, own and operate uh, and provide heating subsidies in these homes. So very exciting for, for, for the, for the town today. And, uh, we had a, we had great meetings with the uh, town of Valley Group Council and other partners uh, that were available uh, and that were attended I think, uh, this this opening. So it was great. So what's the waiting list like for uh, Newfoundland Labrador Housing in that area in particular? Well, right now uh, this will ad- uh, these units will address. Um, you know, a fair portion of the number of uh, available units uh, and uh, will certainly uh, have an impact on the um, on the list. We're looking at uh, we're looking at, uh, you know, this particular project. Uh, we're going to be uh, going to tender in August and this fall we're hoping uh, to start construction. Uh, and uh, these units should be complete in 2024, along with four others that we opened today. So you know that's 20 units. So you know this will put uh, this will put a, a fair uh, number of people that are on the wait list. Will take a fair number off. So uh, you know there 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 will always be wait lists, but the wait list is is sort of fluid, uh, Linda, because. Uh, some of our housing, say it's it, it's under. If somebody moves out, well, we have time lapses in there for us to do any repairs and so on that need to be done. So, but this particular announcement today will go a long ways in addressing uh, the uh, housing needs here in uh, in this area. We uh, we were pleased that uh, we opened up a um, uh, we cut the ribbon on four additional units, as I mentioned, and. Uh, you know, we all recognize that safe, stable, uh, and affordable housing 
uh, is key to improving the health and social outcomes for individuals and families. So, you know, today we uh, we cut the ribbon on four units, uh, federal and provincial cost-shared investment. Um, and uh, the opening uh, of these homes was in uh, Meshner Street in, in uh or Mesher Street, I should say, uh, and uh, we had an opportunity to do, uh, to go in these homes and take a look, and they are they are certainly uh, you know v- very efficient, uh, very well done, uh, and uh, we, we were so impressed with the uh, with the way that the uh, contractor had been able to do these uh, on time, uh, and uh, we'll have four families moving into uh, those units in August and we had a great turnout today from all our partners and uh, again this one this one uh, as well has the important energy efficient uh, features that will provide comfortable homes and reduce uh, heating costs so i guess we you know uh, today um, myself and 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 the mayor uh, George Andrews and uh, MP Yvonne Jones were present for both announcements, and it was was a good day for for this uh, area for sure. Uh, we really feel good about it. We're taking the the the, the next day or so now to meet with uh, a number of groups here in this uh, region, and uh, to to for me basically is try to get to uh, to know as many people as I can to hear people uh, in in various uh, or, or various partner groups. With, uh, to see how things are going and uh, what we can do to improve, uh, you know, health and social uh, outcomes for individuals and also to promote, uh, you know, uh, social and economic inclusion in in these communities uh, through housing. So, you know, it, it's like I say, it's been very busy, but very rewarding as well when you when you're making announcements like we made today and when you actually see uh you know uh, an, a building that can house four families who are on a wait list uh in august uh it certainly does the heart good you know minister paul pike i really appreciate your time thank you very much uh thank you linda anytime New Minister responsible for Newfoundland and Labrador Housing, as well as the Department of uh, Seniors, Children and Social Development, Paul Pike in Happy Valley, Goose Bay today. Well, coming up... Touring the South Coast in the wake of Farley Mowat. This is News Talk on VOCM. Start your day off right. Get the latest updates on news, traffic, and weather conditions. Plus, interviews with today's newsmakers. Your go-to source before you get on the go. 5.30 to 9 a.m. weekdays. Your VOCM mornings. Well, we do have some extra information now on that uh, water disruption. It turns out it was a water main break um, that affected the west end of the capital city. Um, That is now being repaired. In the meantime, crews have rerouted water and all areas should now have their water restored, according to the city of St. John's. During the repair work, some areas of the Petty Harbor Long Pond water supply will be temporarily supplied from the Babel's Big Pond water supply. So that's how they're rerouting um, that water right now. In effect, it's um, 
all the water has been restored. However, uh, people who had their water uh, service disrupted may notice that the water might be a little bit murky or cloudy or milky or smell like chlorine or anything like that. That's going to be the case for the next few hours. Um, And uh, it's going to be temporary. Um, So typically what you would do is you would run a cold tap somewhere in the house and just let it run uh, so until it runs clear um, but they uh, do advise that if you do choose to uh, turn on a tap and let it run clear that you not have a water filter on it because that will start to clog up because anything that might be in the line any debris will clog up that water filter that you have on your faucet oh, that's if you know good what I'm saying. To know. yeah so like the tub should be fine run mm-hmm. the tub or something like that uh, or even just let a, a toilet run you know you can take the move the plunger you know what I mean just let the toilet run I never even thought of that. that. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. It's like Linda, it's almost like you're a handy woman. Like you know everything there is to know about a water shut off. But yeah, I mean that's that's one of my things. If I see cloudy water, my senses just uh, yeah I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned that because some people are you're, everybody's always in a rush you yeah. just want to pour yourself a glass of water or pour yourself a bath a and you don't tea. think twi- yeah you don't think twice about it but you have to think twice about it now yeah you have to think twice about it so just let your water run for a little bit it should be fine to flush the toilet or you know all those normal kind of things but if you're going to brush your teeth or make a cup of tea or coffee or or uh, have a drink of water for that matter or boil up some pasta uh, you might want to let your water run before you do that good and Advice. Oh, not to change the subject, oh, oh. but uh, earlier on we had a call and uh, it took a little bit of digging to find out that, yes, the Mount Carmel Cemetery uh, Flower Service in St. John's is going ahead tonight, despite the fact that it's foggy uh, at 7 o'clock. So I wanted to pass that along. And be aware for people driving the Topsail Road area that that is going to be. Oh, yeah, with all the cars on really the side busy. of the road. Yeah. So be patient. Yeah. Be understanding. Uh, that's one of the bigger cemeteries in Newfoundland and Labrador, mm-hmm. as far as I know. So just be aware of that. There's flower services going on all over the place. Just about everywhere, yeah. yeah. And people, because they do announce, they let everybody know that, yeah, in case of inclement weather, something else might happen. But then people are looking out, is this inclement weather or is it not inclement weather? It's yeah. Newfoundland weather. So it is going ahead tonight. It is, yeah. All right. Good to know. Thank you, Claudette. Well, a local filmmaker's latest effort now available for viewing on Bill 5 TV1 we spoke about how uh, you know it's hard to find things to watch watch, yeah and of course then we had uh, berries for sale with uh, Stephen I enjoyed that Cadigan who Mm -hmm. was telling us about his new show that is on Bell 5 TV one well there's another one it and this is the second season of a little show called floating after Farley I didn't know that. Farley being Farley Mowat. And, of course, we've spoken to Martine Blue on this show about that process that she's been working on. She's the person behind it. You will be familiar, of course, with her work. Um, she's been living on the South Coast for some time now, making films for quite a while. And her latest work, season two of Floating After Farley, is now available for viewing. Well, Martine Blue joins me now. Well, hello, Martine, out on the water. Yes, yes, we're heading right into Little Passage uh, around the corner from Galtus. Wow, so you've been doing this for some time. Uh, You've got this new show out, season two of Floating After Farley. Tell us a little bit about it. Sure, it's a documentary 
a slash reality show slash adventure show. Um, and in it, my husband and I, we follow Farley Mowat and Claire Mowat. Um, we retrace their the uh, voyages they did in uh, Happy Adventure, their boat, um, which he wrote about in a couple of his books. A whale for the killing and the like? Um, more more uh, The Boat Who Wouldn't Float and Bay of Spirits. Ah, excellent. So um, what kind, I don't want to give too much away for people who want to watch the show. What what kind of adventures do you got, get yourselves into? Uh, well, we went to Bergio and we actually did uh, delve into um, his experiences there and, and, and his book, A Whale for the Killing. And we went to St. Pierre, Miquelon, and Langlade, where Farley met Claire. And uh, they had, a, uh, at the time, a scandalous romance because he wasn't um, divorced from his first wife yet. And that was very taboo at the time in the 60s. And uh, we visited a bunch of the resettled communities, McCallum, Francois, um, Grey River. And uh, it also, the show also gets personal, too. We, um, we open with um, the Hurricane Larry, which destroyed our stage and wharf and part of our property in Epworth. And we end with uh, the resettlement vote in Galta. So, uh, so it's a bit of a personal tale and also a documentary on Farley Mowat and Claire Mowat. We also get into uh, Claire's career as a writer and how it, she struggled to emerge out of the shadow of Farley Mowat because he was, you know, so prolific and so well known and and his publisher who first published her work um, tried to talk her out of writing because he thought that she was going to take some of the thunder away from Farley so she had to deal with all of that. And uh, so how long did it take you to to put together these episodes? How many episodes are we looking at? Six episodes. So we were traveling since, well, we started in 2001 with season one. And so uh, when that season ended, we just kept on traveling and shooting. And we didn't have enough space in the show to finish all the tales that we wanted to tell and relate with Farley and so we decided, uh, we asked for another season, and Bell 5 TV1 graciously gave us another season. And, and so we were able to, uh, you know, finish traveling. We, we did a lot of the traveling last summer, all the way up until December. And, and then I edited over the spring. So you're a filmmaker. Did you ever imagine you'd be in this place where you're, you know, sailing the south coast of Newfoundland? No, no, and I didn't imagine myself taping myself as as you know one of the lead characters. It never crossed my mind, but it made the most sense considering Farley tied off on our wharf back in 1960 in Epworth. So the story felt pretty personal to me, and Isaac's dream was always to sail. So it and it just made a lot of sense when I really thought about it. Have you made friends along the way? Oh, certainly. Yeah, it's been phenomenal. It's been a, an amazing growth journey, um, especially exploring writing and, and following all these writers because it, we cover Farley. But a lot of the people who met him, tur like met him here in Newfoundland, turned into writers themselves, um, published writers, uh, and uh, also. 
sorry, I forgot the question. <laughs> and making friends along the way. Oh, making friends along, yes. Um, yes, we, we just met a ton of people along the way, and, and it's been a phenomenal journey. Any wildlife? Yes, we caught a lot in our show. We caught some dolphins, um, sea otters, wolves. What other wildlife? A bear, yeah. I don't know if the bear made it in. I think that's more something we saw with our eyes, but I didn't get the camera in time. And I understand the show also features a lot of uh, really creative uh, musical talent as well. Yes, uh, we have Colleen Power, The Burning Hell, The Fables, uh, the likes of Jeff Pittman, Amy Honey, um, Patrick, Patrick Moran and Mark Hiscock with, uh, you know, Excursion Around the Bay, <laughs> which, uh, which kind of goes with some of the seasick I, seasickness I experienced along the way. So do you, get... do you have oh, your sorry. sea legs now? Well... In the Bay Despair, there's no swell, so it's that's where we're heading right now, or that's where we're in right now. So, uh, so that's easy for my stomach. But when we get out into the open ocean, it's quite tricky. Um, I didn't last year. We haven't been in the open ocean again yet this year. So I, I have tried some hypnosis. So I'm hoping that helps. And so, uh, is your husband, you know, used to sailing and that sort of thing as well? Yes, he's the sailor. I'm the crew. Just just like Farley and Claire, actually. Farley was the sailor and Claire was the crew. And right now, he's at the wheel. And uh, this is his happy place. This is what he loves to be doing. So what's next for you now? This, uh, this season is now available on uh, Bell 5 TV 1. Uh, what's next? Well, I'm writing a comedy pilot as well. And uh, I'm... Coming up in the fall, I'm going to be directing another Bell 5 TV1 series. Is that right? Any hints? Um, I haven't cleared it with the producer, so I'm not sure what I could say at this time. Sorry, I should have cleared it with him first. <laughs> no, but, that's uh, fair. That's fair. Uh, it's my job to ask. Um, so uh, you are firmly ensconced now on the south coast of Newfoundland. Yes, we love it here. We absolutely love it. Galtus is so close. Like, it's right at the gateway of the Beta Fair, so we intend to spend uh, a lot of the summer just sailing the Beta Fair like Farley and Claire did. They they spent, I think, five years, months at a time in the Beta Fair, so we, we hope to spend at least weeks at a time. And how's life summer. now in Galtus in the, the wake of the vote? I feel like people are relieved and people seem just really happy and I, I feel like any kind of bad feelings people might have felt while that was happening it's gone now because the vote is over and I feel like people feel that that they can breathe a sigh of relief we know what what it is you know we know that the the community's staying and uh, there's some um some like the tourism committee is getting together to to revitalize tourism and work on tourism in Galtus and it's just exciting times knowing that we can stay and and it feels I feel like people feel relieved knowing that what you know what the future holds well that's wonderful uh, uh Martine all the best to you and Isaac now safe travels Thank you so much. Thanks so much, Linda. And Floating After Farley, Season 2, now available on Bell 5 TV 1.
All right. Thanks so much. Great. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay, bye. Well, coming up, uh, talking turkey with a local businessman and teacher. This is News Talk on VOCM. Your voice in Newfoundland and Labrador's biggest conversation. If you want to know what's happening in your province, tune in to Open Line every day. Have your say weekday morning starting at 9 a.m. on Open Line with Patty Daly on your VOCM. And we're back. Well, a Carboneer teacher and his family have resurrected a cherished local agricultural business. David Kennedy is on the line to tell us more about his work at what was once known as Knowles Turkey Farm. Hi, David. Hi, good day. How are you? Great. So, I mean, anybody in the Carboneer area is well familiar with Knowles Turkey Farm and uh, um, the work that was being done there forever so long. Uh, and then it switched hands. Uh, and now we've got another turkey farm that's going to be uh, developed there by you. Tell us a little bit about Kennedy's Turkey Farm. Uh, what happened is I approached Kerry, I guess, in the spring of 2022 to see if um, there was any interest in in selling the property. Um, Kerry had some other different business adventures uh, come up in uh, 2018 that he never actually used the farm as a turkey farm as he was since 1990 at the current location. Uh, Knowles, of course, his father, Joseph, started way back in the early 70s. They moved to the current location in early 90s. Um, So I approached Kerry and Kerry said, yeah, he was interested. And so we brokered a deal and it happened. So what are your plans there? Uh, well, really, we actually opened farm last year. We did have turkeys in last year. Uh, we did process turkeys last uh, fall for Christmas season, which uh, and we're currently su- supplying, I guess, turkeys both uh, to residentials and commercial businesses uh, on the Avalon. So we did start in 2022 and uh, went from there. So we're now into, our, I'll say, our second year. Are you planning to expand? How did it go last year? Uh, it was good, like any new adventure, I guess. Um, it, it went really well, you know. It was a lot of learning curves, a lot of mistakes probably made in the first year, but, of course, we worked through it. Uh, Kerry, his sister Dan, and his wife Caroline provided, you know, an awful lot of important info in terms of us starting up into the business, so there to be forever thanked. Uh, and, you know, we, we got through 22. 23 is looking extremely better than 22, so it's on a, and it's on an upward basis, I guess, yeah. Did you have to do much there, or was most of the infrastructure, you know, still in place? Uh, most of the infrastructure was still in place. We had to go and reapply for some permits in terms of the poultry license and stuff like that. Uh, we had to do a little bit of upgrades to the buildings because there were some renovations done in 18 that uh, burned up some of the louvers and vents, so we had to take uh, spend a few weeks in terms of cutting the holes so that the fans and the vents and stuff could be um, operational again. Yeah, so that was the biggest thing, and then some minor detail stuff which was nothing big but for the most most part it was usable since they shut it down so what made you decide to to turn to turkeys i'm not sure i always dabbled a little bit with uh, you know backyard farming grow up parents didn't weren't farmers but dad always dabbled in um, farming himself um me and my boys currently have an interest in it um you know i'm, I'm a teacher and i guess uh, in another seven or eight years i'll be finished with that and you know young people young and energetic i guess i just wanted to, to dabble into something so when i approached Kerry, it seemed well business plan went together well so turkeys it was <laughs> so like you say it's been a bit of a learning curve what are you learning uh the biggest process i guess you know is is 
you know, the turkey pulse, which are day-old turkeys, they arrive from Ontario. Uh, like I said, a day old, at that point, they haven't received any feed or water. You have to take them, put them in, you know, heat the first week or so. The heat is from the first three weeks. The heat is from 27 to 30 degrees Celsius, so you need propane heaters. So the first few weeks, you're putting heat to them, and then after that, you're taking, taking heat from them, which was, that in itself was, um, you know, it's an eye-opener because last summer, as you're well aware, we had a very extremely hot summer, which made it difficult in terms of getting birds comfortable, but, you know, we, we made it through it. And then, of course, it's just the whole, you know, the, the harvesting process of going through it, trying to get the birds to the right, right weights that, you know, are uh, marketable. Um, which in itself is tough because, of course, seed is always ahead of them. It's not like you can go in some morning and tell them to stop eating. You know, the turkeys just keep eating, keep growing. So it's it's all the it's all the time, the chronological thing of just getting them in from a day old to the time you actually harvest them from anywhere from you know from I guess from 12 to 16 weeks. That was that was the big thing is getting that schedule in place so that it could go well. You know, and you you'd actually get the product that you wanted to present to people. And turkeys usually are uh, kind of time sensitive in that you you, you want to take advantage of Thanksgiving or, or Christmas, for instance. Yeah, Thanksgiving and Christmas are the biggest one, but Christmas is by far the biggest. Um, unlike Canadians, unlike the Americans, we're not really a big Thanksgiving turkey population. So we didn't, you know, it's not a big, big at, at Thanksgiving, but, you know, we had them available last year as fresh and fo- frozen. Um, Christmas is the big thing. And like you said, it's just putting it out there, marketing and getting it going. Yeah, but it was, it was, it was interesting. It was an interesting six months last year to, to finish 22. And do you do the processing there as well? Or do you, do you? We do, yeah. There is a white meat slaughterhouse, which means that you can just do poultry there. That was, um, that was been there since I guess carrying them started way back in the 90s. So it was just a matter of re- renewing that with service NL and going. Yeah, so all the processing is done on site and then they're, they're froze. And then we just, you know, haul them in freezers for a few weeks, I guess, up until Christmas when people want them. And there is some, of course, you know, we did have some process after, which we are now providing the different uh, commercial establish- establishments uh, within the Avalon desk. You know, love the the big quality birds, right? So they're the good hardy birds that you, you don't normally get in the grocery stores. And of course, that's what commercial establishments want because they want to they want the quality meat. For sure. So I was going to ask you about that. Like, how do you do the marketing? Do you do you take orders? Do you um, distribute to local um, companies? How does that work? So the majority of, for Christmas ones were sold locally because Noel's um, convenience store in Saddle Hill. They still have some, and they sell locally for Christmas, you know. And so what we'll do is we'll normally take orders for people that they want for Thanksgiving or Christmas with their approximate weights because, you know, you can't never, you may not be able to match it exactly pound for pound or ounce for ounce. <clears throat> so, um, <clears throat> excuse me, they'll, they'll provide them over there. And then we just reached out to all the different uh, commercial establishments, restaurants, hotels and stuff that actually, you know, you think that might be interested. And then you, you do a follow-up. And, of course, uh, sometimes you, you catch a, a few good customers and then just close from there. What's the response been like? Because I know there were a few people who were sad when the, when Noel's Turkey Farm closed down. And a lot of people relied on those turkeys or enjoyed those turkeys for sure. And now we have this, um, I guess the atmosphere is a little bit different. There's this whole emphasis on uh, locally grown and uh, food security and that sort of thing. What's the response been like? The response has been excellent. You know, the big thing is, and one of the issues we ran into last year, and it was a few licensing and stuff, was getting 
the births is a weight that people wanted. It's not like, you know, we never had the, the license up and going right away. So they were growing. And, and unfortunately, last year, they grew a little bit bigger than what most customers wanted. So that's the key target that we need this year is we need to meet the demands of the of the customers. You know, not everybody wants a 25 or 30 pound turkey. So that's one of the big things that we're focused on in 23 is providing the weights that people want. Uh, but the response has been excellent. You know, people have been very supportive. And people also understand, too, that, you know, because it's local, it's not necessarily cheaper, but it's always better. You know what I'm saying? So you, you can't always have provide anything locally in the pharmacy industry. Sometimes as cheap as what you can import from, um, you know, the big producers. But it's, it's always the top quality that people know that they're going to get, which they seek. So you mentioned Knowles, of course, uh, convenience on the saddle that people in Carboneer will be familiar with. But if somebody is interested in one of your turkeys, where can they get them? That's the biggest. That's the big spot right now locally is in um, is in at Noel's convenience. Uh, you know, I do make weekly deliveries to commercial establishments in St. John's. You know, sometimes you know people reach out, and I mean, around I can do it. But for the most part, um, it's just at Noel's there in Carbonier. Yeah. David Kennedy, I really appreciate your time. Thanks so much. No trouble. Thank you very much. So gobble, gobble, gobble. Uh, Noel's Turkey Farm, now Kennedy's Turkey Farm in Freshwater Carbonier, uh, making turkeys. And uh, what I thought was interesting there, Claudette, <clears throat> is getting the turkey to the exact right size for the consumer. Because generally speaking, people don't want a 40-pound bird. Right. Right? Yeah, I never looked you know, at that aspect of the Who wants to cook that? <laughs> And what would it be like to cook? I mean, I suppose now restaurants could possibly do that. If but they had the, yeah. uh, but getting them to that right, you know, nice sweet spot. You know, I like a myself. I like an 11, 12 pound bird. Oh I gosh, like them you know quite, yourself that well. <laughs> I, yeah, no, I like them nice and small so that it doesn't take an awful long time. And usually the meat is is juicy in that because you're not cooking it too long. But if you leftovers. know to make sure that you don't die. <laughs> <laughs> but. You know, you got to get them to that right size. And like he says, you know, if the feed is out, they're going to eat it. Of course. Of course. And they're yeah. going to continue to grow. So, so that is, you know, the, the thing, getting the timing down, I, I didn't know. It didn't even take that into consideration as to that they would have to do that. But, yeah, interesting. Anyway, there you go. So um, turkeys for sale <laughs> at Kennedy's Turkey Farm or Knowles Convenience in Carnier. Um When we come back, uh, we started out saying that this, this show had a bit of a summertime theme. Well, what could be more summery in the city of St. John's than the Royal St. John's Regatta? Um, my colleague Brian Medore uh, spoke uh, with somebody about the Regatta less than a month away. Can you just imagine the summer is just speeding past us? Uh, we'll have details on that coming up right after this this is news talk on vocf get lost in the music of legendary artists like elton john the beatles and more join claudette barnes every sunday from 12 to 1 p.m and relive fond memories through the power of music with sunday melodies on your vocm well hard to believe but the royal st john's regatta is less than a month away with one of the last rowing events the time trials in the books crews were on the pond saturday rowing uh for times to determine their placement in the race lineup on Derby Day. If you remember, big crowds flocked to the pond last year after a couple of years of the regatta, uh, uh, regatta either being downgraded or cancelled altogether. Well, the big day itself is 
fingers crossed, if the wind cooperates and all of that good stuff. Wednesday, August the 2nd, said 71 crews are registered so far and about 80 vendors have signed up to provide attractions around Kitty Vitty Lake. VOCM's Brian Medore speaks with Ashley Peach, Vice President and Captain of the course. Give me an outline now for, say, persons with mobility issues. I know you've teamed with Inclusion NL and uh, seems like uh, some dedicated uh, contact lines, phone lines in place. Uh, What can you tell me in that regard? Yes, this year again we have um, connected with Inclusion NL and they're um, in conjunction with um, the regatta committee are doing some great opportunities uh, for inclusion. Um, their tent will be in the same spot it was last year. They're along the trail um, at the foot of the Dominion parking lot by King George V. As well, there will be charging stations um, for power mobility chairs at the boathouse and as well as at the marquee. Um, as well as they'll be modifying some of the race day schedules in order to increase the font and I believe as well to include it in Braille. So there's lots of um, opportunities that we're trying to do to ensure we're being inclusive. Now the races are one thing but the attractions around the pond are another. Some people prefer that side of things. How's it looking for uh, say volume first off the, the number of concession stands? Do you have a bead on that yet? Yes, certainly. So far, we have, I believe, we're over 80 vendors registered for uh, Regatta Day. So that includes like food vendors, um, games of chance, as well as um, the ever so popular um, children's areas down with uh, the blow up slides and bouncy castles, things like that. Now, last year you had an incredible turnout for Regatta Day. I mean, nobody knows the numbers, of course, but it just seemed to be one of the largest ever, uh, you know, certainly in recent memory anyway, the last 10 years or so, 10 or 15. Uh, but what, it, what kind of a feel do you have for this year? Uh, certainly, I think yeah, last year we had such a great weather day as well, even though it was delayed by a day. Mm. Um, the Thursday weather was fabulous and certainly um, got lots of people out. Uh, this year, there's lots of excitement around the regatta. I know we've had some inquiries about um, who the vendors will be and uh, lots of people checking in, making sure they know the dates of the event. So last year, certainly, it was wonderful to look out amongst all the crowds of people along the shoreline taking in the races taking in the games of chance um was lovely to see so certainly again this year we encourage everybody to come down and regatta day uh support the rollers but else but also um supporting our local community groups that are using this event as their fundraisers for the program okay so all looking pretty good for regatta day itself Yes, certainly lots of um, moving pieces over the next couple of weeks. Um, Tomorrow evening we have the shell draw where crews get to pick their shell that they'll be racing in regatta day. So that is a a busy evening of excitement as well. And then the crews will have about two and a half weeks to kind of finish their training program for the season and then enjoy their taper. How have they been doing in the practice spins on the pond, especially like say for, you know, that last bit of May and what, about the first half of June, I think, uh, before the weather kind of turned a little bit. It was it was pretty rough there for three or four weeks, wasn't it? It was. There was a lot of red flags between um, high winds and as well really thick fog. It was too 
uh, foggy to be able to see where you're going on the pond. So certainly crews definitely contended with a lot of adverse weather at the beginning of the season. Uh, certainly over the last few weeks, it has become much more enjoyable rowing and as well as increased warmer temperatures as well. Ashley Peach, Vice President, Royal St. John's Regatta, Captain of the Course. Thanks very much. Thanks so much, Brian, for having me. So there you go. Uh, fingers crossed. Uh, that'll be a go. Um, yay or nay on Wednesday, August the 2nd. And of course, the wind is the big factor for the regatta. I know we've had regattas when it's been um, raining, not the best of weather, but the winds are not too bad. So wind is what it's all about. Have you rode in the regatta? No, I have never I am rode. shocked to hear it. Oh, really? You know, I don't have the best upper body strength. I love kayaking, but again, I do everything recreational, not competitively, right? So I feel I got lots of room to, uh, to increase my strength, but I would love to do something like that. That takes a lot of dedication, and I think a lot of people, don't they go out early, early in the mornings during yeah. the week for all of these different... Um, uh, practices, yeah, that kind of five thing. in the morning and that sort of Can't thing. But you're not, you're used to that. Yeah, no, I would, you know, I I would love it. But again, um, I'm trying to be able to do one push up and not have to do the push up against the wall. <laughs> so, or I with think, your knees, or, like you know, I'm def, I'm definitely a knee person push up, Linda. So, yeah. Uh, what about you? Oh my God, no, no. Oh, <laughs> that, that was awful. I'm quick. not even going to pretend. <laughs> Although uh, I did uh, a few years ago, and I can't remember what exactly the circumstances were, but there were a a group of us here at the station, and I went down, not as part of the crew, but as part of the uh, (laughs) looky-loos. The looky-loos. I love Um, that name. Jerry Lynn Mackey mm-hmm. and Dave Williams and Patty Daly and Brian Medore, uh, and they all went out. Right, they and, did. Yeah, and did that little I I sort of fun that. run, if you will. Mm-hmm. I don't know what to call it. A fun row. A fun row. <laughs> I don't know how fun it was looking at Patty Daly's face when he say, came back I in. I Patty could complain that it was a little hard, you know, it was a little tough. So. It was a little tough, although he has run the Telly 10, you know. Yeah, that. he has. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, it was challenging i think even jerry lynn who is fit yeah she's fit mm-hmm. but even she found, she found it a little bit whoa whoa oh carla carla she's fit too she was on that yeah and um uh yeah they were like oh that was tough well you know even you know not so much just not only the regatta but people do those rowathons or whatever they're called for various charities or you're using the row machine at a gym and it looks like it's fun and i always wanted to try it so i tried it and I really need a lot of help. So I can only imagine what it would be like. These people are going for times and seconds count. And the amount of uh, training that you would have to do to be a rower, it's uh, just um, commend them for being able to do it. It's hard on your bum, too. Does that depend on the type of shell that they're in? Well, my understanding is, and someone can, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but if this is fixed seat. Right? So it's not like rowing, you know, when you see them going with the legs, right? Yeah. That's not part of the motion. It's mostly upper body as far as I know. And so your bum is kind of going back and forth. That would be really, really tough. Yeah. So um, I want the job of the coxswain where they just say row, 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 (laughs) stroke, stroke. (laughs) Or whatever they say. (laughs) Spoken like somebody who's not done a lot of sports. (laughs) Um, And, you know, coxswain is actually co-swains. So there's my role. 
Love right? it. Yes. Right? C-O-X. Yes. Yeah. I love that. I think, you know, Linda, I don't know if you're the type of person, but do you think that you want to go outside your comfort zone and maybe have that as a future goal for future Linda? <laughs> <laughs> Linda Coxon. <laughs> I mean, the really. OCM. Telling people what to do. Local Come on. That's a joy job. <laughs> Stroke. Stroke. <laughs> But I've never. Go on, you get and it. I've been working. <laughs> we're working in radio a little bit. We're still on the topic of uh, rowing, but like, I never. We never had that opportunity. I don't think with the the. Uh, what is it? The regatta roulette? Like wondering mm-hmm. if you had to come in. We all know we're in radio, so you could. Well, there's have some to come here in. that do play it. <laughs> Let's be clear about that. Uh, but yeah, the famous regatta roulette. roulette. Yeah. Only in our province. <laughs> so fun. It makes it. Oh, that's another one of the things that makes Charm. this place so wonderful. Charming for sure. Um, uh, uh, just before we leave, I wanted to make mention of this. Um, it's going to be a musical blast from the past. Canada's Walk of Fame induction ceremony in. September. The event at uh, Toronto's Massey Hall will celebrate some of the biggest Canadian bands of the 1970s and 80s. This is kind of in my wheelhouse now. Including uh, Glass Tiger, Loverboy, April Wine, Chilliwack, Platinum Blonde, Trooper, Lighthouse, and Max Webster. So uh, anybody who uh, grew up in the 70s and 80s, I mean, that that was the soundtrack to your uh, teenage years, we'll say. Uh, inductions are part of bigger plans to mark the walk of fame's 25th anniversary in early December. So there you go. Uh, Toronto's Massey Hall, the place to be if you're into uh, CanCon. Uh, that's it for us for today. We'll be back tomorrow. Do join us then. Uh, thanks for listening, everyone.